Was there any doubt in your mind that foul play was involved? There was no doubt in my mind. The security cameras had been destroyed and somebody had cut the window screen. There was a really strong odor and you could see puddles of bleach on the floor. I didn't know if somebody had just kidnapped them or if they were dead somewhere. We love you and we miss you. And we'll look till doomsday to try to find you. They located an old wooden structure that had a lot of debris stacked on top. That's when we discovered human remains. Becky and Rusty were ultimately shot and killed execution style. He was somebody you didn't want to mess with. He had multiple arrests for assaults. A very violent background, not a good person. What made you think he could have been involved in their disappearance? He said, you better watch yourself. You're not going to be around much longer. Hi, I'm Paula Zahn, and tonight we're on the case in Willard, Missouri, 10 miles northwest of Springfield. This quiet farming community became the backdrop for a disturbing mystery when a newlywed couple disappeared from their own home. As investigators studied the odd clues, they discovered the shocking tale of greed and betrayal they would reveal. Monday, April 18th, 2011. It was just before midnight, and 26-year-old Jessica Bullock was worried about her mother, Rebecca Porter. When the two had last spoken, Rebecca had been feeling ill. She thought she had food poisoning or stomach flu or something. I tried to get her to go to the hospital and she wouldn't go, said she would see how she felt in the morning. What happened when you called your mom the next day? She didn't answer. I called family members to see if they had heard from her, and nobody had heard anything. Jessica and her mother often spoke several times a day, so more than 24 hours of unanswered messages were a cause for alarm. I wasn't sure what was going on. The later it got, the more concerned I got. I just had this gut feeling that something was not right. Jessica jumped into her car and raced 45 minutes to the rustic farmhouse where her mother lived with her new husband, Rusty. Describe to me what you saw when you drove up to your mom's house. The main doors of the house were open. That's really unusual. Nobody leaves their doors wide open at midnight. Fearing that she had stumbled upon a crime in progress, Jessica called out to her mother from the porch. But there was no response. Once she wouldn't come to the door, I really got worried. Jessica made a frantic call to 911. Deputies arrived just minutes later. 
after they confirmed there was no intruder, Jessica accompanied the officers into the master bedroom. What she saw there was chilling. The bed was kind of cockeyed on the box springs. All the blankets had been pulled off to the floor. Her mother's purse and cell phone were scattered across the room. Did your heart sink when you saw her cell phone? Yeah, she had her phone in her hand all the time. By even more troubling to investigators was the overwhelming smell of cleaning solution in the kitchen. There was a really strong odor of bleach, and you could see puddles of bleach on the floor, which was very unusual. The deputies quickly contacted the sheriff's office. Lead Detective Scott Britton was dispatched to the scene. I received a call around 4 a.m. and was asked to respond to a missing persons case. Jessica Bullock had reported she hadn't been able to get in contact with her mother in well over 24 hours and was extremely concerned. Detective Britton took note of a series of unsettling clues throughout the farmhouse, starting with the disturbing amount of bleach found in the kitchen. What were your suspicions about the use of the bleach? It could be utilized to clean up a crime scene. It is also used by suspects in an attempt to try to eliminate their DNA being present at the crime scene. There was evidence of how an intruder may have entered the home. Kitchen window was open, and it appeared as if somebody had cut the window screen, and the screen was just flopping in the wind. Rusty's home office was also in disarray. There was a monitor lying on the floor, and it appeared that the computer itself was missing. I could see some computer cables that were running through the wall that weren't attached to anything. As we walked back outside of the house to see where the cables came into the house, they went to security cameras. We discovered that the security cameras that were mounted outside of the home, pointing in the direction of their driveway, had been destroyed. Despite several clues that pointed to the crime having been a robbery gone wrong, that theory was quickly dismissed. There was a lot of things inside that home of value that was not tampered with. Did it appear as though any of Rebecca's personal items had been rifled through? No, her personal belongings were there, a wallet, credit cards, cash, identification. Just hours into the investigation, detectives were already considering the darkest of possibilities. These people might have been taken from the home against their will. 
Was there any doubt in your mind that foul play was involved? There was no doubt in my mind a crime had been committed. Rebecca Porter and her husband, Rusty, had vanished from their home in rural Missouri. With puddles of bleach in their kitchen, signs of a struggle in their master bedroom, and smashed surveillance cameras outside, police were convinced the couple had been the victims of foul play. As the sun rose over Willard, Missouri, Detectives were still trying to piece together what happened to Rebecca and Rusty Porter. Rusty's mother, Kay, who lived in another home on the farm, was devastated when she heard what police had discovered. It's hard not to think the worst. I thought somebody has abducted him out of the house. Rusty's sister, Sandy, raced to the scene to help with the investigation. What were you told? I was just told that they were missing. And I will never forget driving up on that scene and they had everything taped off. I knew then something very serious had happened. For Sandy, the timing of the disturbing event seemed especially cruel. How did you view his marriage to Rebecca? He was happier than he'd ever been, and I think she made him want to do better, want to be a better person. So we were very grateful for her. They were very much in love. It was amazing the difference that it made in, in Rusty's life, and Becky seemed to be crazy about him. For Rebecca, a 46-year-old divorced mother of two, the relationship had been a chance to start over. But now, just a few months after she and Rusty moved to the family farm, the couple was missing, and police were looking for a witness who could explain the couple's disappearance. As you can see, the residence is located in a rural, remote location with no neighbors to hear or see anything. It appeared that Rusty's mother, Kay, had been the last one to see her son. Rusty had stopped by Sunday night because his wife had been feeling sick. He came to get her some ibuprofen. And that was the last time I seen him. Police never found anyone who had spoken with either Rusty or Rebecca after that visit. Detectives theorized that the break-in had taken place just a few hours later. Could anybody come up with someone who would have a grudge against either Rusty or Rebecca. K 
Kay had told me that I should look at Rebecca's ex-husband as a potential lead. It was her understanding that they had a bad divorce. Investigators followed up on the tip and discovered that Rebecca and her ex-husband had a long-running feud over a restaurant they owned together. At one point, Rebecca had even tried to involve law enforcement. Becky went and applied for an order of protection, and ultimately that order of protection was denied by a judge. Investigators paid a visit to Rebecca's ex to question him. What was Rebecca's ex-husband's reaction to her disappearance? He was very saddened. He was extremely, extremely emotional. Still, police carefully checked his whereabouts for the night of the disappearance. His airtight alibi ultimately led detectives to eliminate Rebecca's ex-husband as a suspect. We corroborated all of the alibi that the ex-husband provided. Meanwhile, back at the farm, investigators came upon a clue that led them to consider another disturbing possibility. We located some documentation within the home where Becky had been writing Rusty some letters indicating that she was frustrated, that she was fed up with what was taking place. Rebecca's daughter, Jessica, confirmed that her mother had been upset in the days leading up to her disappearance. She just wasn't happy. Her and Rusty argued a lot. Did you suspect that a domestic dispute could be involved here? Yes. Could Rusty have been responsible for what happened here? Could Becky have been responsible for what happened here? We had to investigate all means of what could have occurred. But as police dug deeper into the source of the problems between the newlyweds, it turned the focus of the investigation in a whole new direction. County investigators learned that Rebecca and Rusty Porter's marriage had been under a lot of strain in the weeks before they went missing. Rebecca had even written Rusty letters about their ongoing issues. At first, the notes raised the possibility that a domestic dispute was behind the couple's disappearance. But when detectives discovered the cause of the couple's problems, it sent the investigation in a whole new direction. After their marriage, Rebecca and Rusty had moved into the farmhouse that had been in the Porter family for generations. Rusty's mother, Kay, and her brother, Robert, were their only neighbors on the 120-acre property. Did they seem to be happy living on the farm? Rusty and Becky were excited about uh, renovating the farmhouse. The farm itself was to be eventually divided up and we each would inherit a certain part of that land. And so I think they were excited about that. But almost immediately, the long running feud between Rusty and his uncle, Robert Campbell, began heating up. 
they didn't like each other. It was just like electric whenever they got together and not good electric. What do you mean by that? Rusty was in the old family farmhouse and Rob didn't like that. The escalating tension between the two men had made life on the farm almost unbearable for Rebecca. Becky was a witness to most of these disturbances that Rusty would continually have with Robert, and she was tired of it. Was she scared? She was very scared. And the fear grew when Rebecca and Rusty became convinced that Robert Campbell was actually running a criminal operation on the farm. My uncle was never one to play by the rules. He always skirted the law. Were you aware of some of the accusations that had been made against him about being involved in illegal activities? I knew he was a bad guy. Mom had told me just a week prior to this that all this equipment would come in, and she knew they were stolen. When Rusty contacted police about his suspicions, the situation became a ticking time bomb. Rusty went and applied for an order of protection. In his own handwritten notes, it says that Robert had driven by and yelled out to him, you better watch yourself. You're not going to be around much longer. Were they just heated words between family? Or had it been a cold-blooded warning of what was to come? Investigators wanted to speak with Robert Campbell, but the long-haul trucker was away on business. Robert was out on a run. When Campbell returned three days later, he openly admitted that he had a rocky relationship with his nephew, but insisted he would never hurt Rusty or Rebecca. Can you tell me and look me in the eye and tell me you didn't have anything to do with this? I did not have anything to do with it. It's your sister's boy. This is flesh and blood. You're a good cop, but you're barking up your own tree. Campbell told investigators he was hundreds of miles away from the farm on the night the couple went missing. Robert said that he was nowhere around, that he was in Texas working, and that his wife, Carolyn, was with him. Police obtained a search warrant for Robert Campbell's cell phone records to see if they could verify his claims. We were able to analyze those phone toll records and plot cell tower locations based on cellular activity. Did those records back up his story? Yes, ma'am. It actually corroborated what Robert had told us. Robert Campbell's airtight alibi forced detectives back to square one. And while investigators searched for a new lead, Rebecca and Rusty's families continued to pray for the couple's safe return. Rusty, I want to tell you that we love you. Becky, we love you. And we're looking, and we'll keep looking. And you got to stay strong till we find you. 
we put flyers up from Joplin down to Branson and out east. I gave every interview I could with the news, trying to get their name out there. We love you, and we miss you. And we'll look till doomsday to try to find you. The massive search rolled on for weeks without uncovering a single clue. Then came the phone call no one wanted to hear. A tip that led detectives to fear their missing persons case was about to become a homicide investigation. Rebecca and Rusty Porter's disturbing disappearance had led police to look at a few potential suspects in the couple's inner circle. But neither Rebecca's ex-husband nor Rusty's uncle, Robert Campbell, could have been anywhere near the farmhouse at the time they went missing. Then, just as it appeared the case might go cold, a mysterious tip forced investigators to consider the darkest of possibilities, that Rebecca and Rusty had been murdered. For weeks, the families of Rebecca and Rusty had been living a nightmare, not knowing what had happened to the newly married couple. And slowly, they began to brace themselves for the worst. I didn't know if, if somebody had just kidnapped them and they're still alive. I didn't know if they were laying dead somewhere. Not knowing will drive you crazy. As time went on, hope just kept diminishing. Investigators were also convinced the couple had been the victims of a violent crime, but they still had no leads on a suspect. Then, a new tip came in from a jailhouse informant. The sheriff's department eventually got a tip about someone else that you should investigate. That is correct. The person that was incarcerated in the Greene County Jail indicated that they had lead information as it related to the disappearance of Becky and Rusty. The details were chilling. The informant claimed that just before he was sent to prison, he was approached at a bar by a man named Tony Friend, who had admitted to killing the porters. And during that conversation, he said that Tony had told him that he was responsible for taking their birthdays away. The inmate said the term taking their birthdays away was slang for murder. Police followed up on the lead and quickly discovered that Tony Friend had a lengthy rap sheet. What did investigators find when they looked into Tony Friend's criminal history? 
He had multiple arrests for assaults, domestic assaults, making and manufacturing unlawful firearms. A very uh, violent background. Not a good person. Detectives still weren't certain their informant could be trusted. Then, a check of Tony Friend's cell phone records added credibility to his account. When we analyzed Tony Friend's cell phone records, those records indicated that Tony had call communications in and around the residence of Russell and Rebecca Porter. On the night you believe they disappeared. That is correct. Greene County Sheriff's investigators Alan Bear and Scott Britton decided to speak with Tony Friend face-to-face. -face. Tony walked into the interview room very arrogant, almost as if he was trying to be intimidating. Throughout the interview, Friend carefully distanced himself from the porters. Tony was really hesitant to acknowledge that even knew Rusty and Rebecca Porter. Each time investigators tried to pin him down on a timeline, Friend remained evasive. We would ask specific key questions to either prove or disprove the information that we had up to that point. Tony was, was less than truthful. He never really gave any specific information as far as what his whereabouts were. Friend even lied about where he had grown up, refusing to acknowledge his hometown of Cedar Creek, Missouri. To me, it was a red flag. He was avoiding that area for a specific reason. A review of Tony Friend's cell phone records helped police sharpen that theory. They show Friend had driven to Cedar Creek after he left the Porter's home on the night of their disappearance. We followed up on the information they received from the phone records and we went down to the Cedar Creek area. Officers casually questioned his relatives about areas where Tony Friend might go to get away from it all. Growing up in that area, he and some of his other family members would go to the Mark Twain National Forest to some old abandoned log cabins. In fact, Friend's family said there was one cabin that he regularly visited. It had an abandoned boat laying next to the cabin, and there was a disabled bulldozer nearby. We thought, well, this would be a very good place to look. The investigators contacted the local Taney County Sheriff's Department for help in finding the cabin. Sergeant Matthew Wheeler was one of several officers who carried out the search. We had four wheelers and it was all we could do to navigate some of the terrain. It was that rough. When they arrived at the cabin, Sergeant Wheeler quickly became confident they were on the right track. I started to pick up the odor of decomposition. The officers cautiously entered the ramshackle cabin. In the center, 
was a large pile of debris. After the rubble was cleared, investigators found what they had been looking for. That's when we discovered what we thought to be human remains. Had police just found the final resting place of Rebecca and Rusty Porter. Detectives working on the Rebecca and Rusty Porter case were taking a hard look at a man named Tony Friend. His cell phone records showed that he had been at the couple's home on the night of their disappearance. And then, a few hours later, those same records placed him at a rundown cabin more than 80 miles away. When investigators searched that area, they found disturbing evidence that the missing newlyweds might have been the victims of cold-blooded murder. On July 21st, 2011, three months after Rebecca and Rusty Porter went missing, two lifeless bodies were found inside a collapsed cabin on the edge of the Mark Twain National Forest. Both victims were wearing pajamas and had been hidden under a pile of debris. Local law enforcement contacted Detective Alan Baer and Scott Britton about their gruesome discovery. We ultimately responded and took the lead in the investigation as we believed what they had seen could be the remains of Becky and Rusty. Using DNA and dental records, forensic experts ultimately confirmed that heartbreaking theory. Despite the fact that both victims had been exposed to the elements for months, the medical examiner was able to rule the case a homicide. What did testing reveal caused their deaths? Single gunshot wound to the back right side of their head. Execution style. Crime scene analysts found evidence in the cabin that made it clear the couple had been murdered at the remote location. We had located blood on several of the items of debris that had been removed from the pile of where their remains were located. Although the couple's loved ones had been preparing for the worst, the news was no less crushing. You still want to not quite believe that it was them. It didn't seem real. I was kind of numb. As the families tried to cope with their deep sense of loss, investigators began to stitch together a case against Tony Friend. The phone records that were obtained drew a route from the Porter's residence down to the location to where we actually discovered the human remains. And police became convinced that three other people had been involved. 
How did police go about finding out who was helping Friend? Those accomplices were in frequent phone contact with Tony Friend during key times. Tony Friend's call list included his wife, Wendy, his son, Philip, and his cousin, Dusty Hicks. The phone records basically showed us the primary people of interest. Police were certain that a hardened criminal like Tony Friend would never confess to the crime. But they thought they might be able to convince his son, Philip, to cooperate. I did not kill nobody. At first, Philip denied any role in the crime. And after he was arrested and charged with two counts of murder, the 26-year-old agreed to provide investigators with a detailed confession. My dad came to me a week before her disappearance, told me he had this job that was $100,000 for two birthdays. Okay, and what does taking birthdays mean to you? It's killing them. Then, Philip revealed the name of the man who was behind the murder-for-hire plot, someone who police had been suspicious of all along, Rusty's uncle, Robert Campbell. Did your dad tell you um, who had asked him to do this job? Robert and Robert's wife, my dad's sister. What did you ultimately find out happened? Robert Campbell hired Tony Friend to kidnap and murder Becky and Rusty. They all conspired together at the request of Robert Campbell. Philip then took investigators through the porter's final moments alive, step by step. While Tony's wife, Wendy Friend, waited in the truck, Philip, his father, and Dusty donned ski masks and broke into the porter's farmhouse. What did he tell you happened that night? Philip said that they had noticed that the kitchen window had been open, that they had cut the window screen, which allowed Philip and Tony to hoist Dusty and up and through that window to gain entry into the residence. Once they were inside, the three masked men entered the master bedroom and ambushed Rebecca and Rusty while they were asleep. My dad flipped on the light. He jumped out of bed. Ooh, she's scared. He said, shut up or I'll shoot you. After the men tried to cover their tracks by destroying surveillance cameras and dumping bleach around the kitchen, Rebecca and Rusty were let out to the truck, handcuffed with zip ties. What'd they say? 
Why are you doing this? Who are you? Please don't kill us. Kept saying that over and over. Philip said the three men dropped Wendy off at home and drove out to the crime scene. He and Dusty Hicks stayed in the truck while his father forced Rebecca and Rusty to walk to the cabin at gunpoint. What did he describe hearing? He described hearing a gunshot. Some time passes, and here's a second gunshot. Well, that's when he really knew that he was murdering the porters. Once Philip Friend agreed to testify against his co-conspirators, police arrested Robert Campbell as the ringleader of the murder for hire plot. Once again, cell phone records would play a key role in making the prosecution's case. Prior to the crime, Tony Friend and Campbell had not spoken in years, but afterwards, it was a much different story. After the kidnapping, all of a sudden, Tony is having multiple calls to Robert on a regular basis. But police were not able to find a money trail that connected Campbell and Tony Friend. Do you think the $100,000 was ever a real thing? No, I do not. I don't believe that Robert Campbell had the $100,000. I believe it was a way for Robert Campbell to manipulate Tony Friend into doing this job. Detectives confronted Robert Campbell, hoping he would confess. I swear on the Bible, I had nothing, nothing to do with that deal. I have nothing to hide. I was not here when all this happened. Kay Porter was devastated when she found out her brother had been behind her son's murder. You want somebody to pay. It didn't matter who it was. Tony Friend pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and received life in prison without parole. His cousin, Dusty Hicks, also pled guilty and received two life sentences. Tony's wife, Wendy, took her case to trial. She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In exchange for his cooperation, Philip Friend received a reduced sentence of 13 years. In 2016, Robert Campbell was brought to trial as the mastermind behind the gruesome plot. When we were trying Robert Campbell's case, 
I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get a guilty verdict. Why? Just because it was circumstantial. There was not physical evidence tying Robert Campbell to those murders. The primary witness in the case was Tony Friend's son, Philip. How effective do you think Philip Friend's testimony was? It was hard to overestimate it. It was powerful. And the jury agreed. Robert Campbell was found guilty of two counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. The verdict brought a sense of peace to those who loved Rusty. For me, it was kind of the grand conclusion to say, we got him. We finally got him. I did a lot of praying. That's about the only way I made it through. While faith has allowed them to move forward, some of their wounds will never heal. Most people enjoy going home. I don't have that anymore. It's almost like you're not a family anymore. For Rebecca's two children, their loss is just as difficult to process. You had just become a mom yourself when your mother was killed. My daughter is what helped me get through all of this. We talk about her a lot. She was a wonderful mother. She was a very giving person. There was another casualty to Robert Campbell's scheme, his wife, Carolyn. While facing perjury charges for providing false testimony to a grand jury, she committed suicide. I'm Paula Zahn. Please join us next time when we're back on the case.